David. So, Michelle. I really enjoyed last Epps' guest. Oh, Mark Polymeropoulos. I enjoyed him so much. Former CIA officer. That he's coming back. Oh, sweet. Because it means it's less time I have to talk to you. Good point. You're listening to I Spied, the microwave popcorn of Australian intelligence. Oh, wow. I've, oh, I've got a headache now. Whoa. Whoa, I'm losing my balance. Hang on. This, this is not a microwave. But the popcorn is popping. Hello and welcome to I Spied. My name is Michelle Stevenson. I'm here with David Callan and we're sticking around with the CIA agent. Yeah. Former CIA agent. Mark Polymeropoulos. See, I like to let David say your name because I feel like he gets it right every single time. Um, Mark, thanks for sticking around. We touched on last ep, um, basically your life, your 26 years of service in as a CIA veteran, you know, agency's most decorated field officers, mm-hmm. counterterrorism. We kind of hit the gamut of everything. Like we covered Trump, we covered Osama bin Laden. You know, I felt like it was a really good I'm going to go out. I'm, I'm going out on a limb here. Yeah. Favourite interview ever. I know. You're, you're, you are. Are the favorite. You are the bomb. You you are literally oh, the, you are yes. literally the culmination of two years of us talking to each other and finally getting someone who knows what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, as opposed to somebody who <laughs> pretends he knows what he's yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, which is this guy. He pushed a mile trial. Yeah. <laughs> so um what we really want to get stuck into is Havana syndrome. So why don't you explain exactly what it is? Because I didn't sure. know much about it before we were coming to interview you. Here's an idea. Okay. Why don't you tell us what happened? To you, sure, and we'll go from there. Sure. So, well, look, look, I, I can do you know a, a couple things. First of all, I just want to kind of throw out one thing there because you know you are, you all are being very kind, but you know there, I you know I worked with a whole bunch of heroes. You know, I certainly wasn't better than any of my colleagues. So I just want to kind of make that great. I have a whole bunch of fancy hardware. If you ever come to the states, I'll take it down in my basement. You can see the you know I love me wall like like we all have. You literally, um, uh, you, but, you, but, you know, David's literally booking a flight. As I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've got to go to the states for a wedding <laughs> next year. I am definitely going to be over to the east coast. Stop by, but 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 it's important to note that I was no, no, I'm not special. I was no different than really kind of the other great Americans, you know, who uh, who kind of do the same thing in the shadows, and and you know, you do it, you, you do this job where you you're never going to get uh, you know a pat on the head for doing a good job. If you fail, the whole world knows. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty unique. You have to have kind of a strong, you know, mental, mental makeup that. So I'm no different than anyone else. One of the funny things about living in this area is I will go off to a, uh, a local, you know, youth soccer game and you'll see people with, you know, U S embassy Baghdad t-shirts, U S embassy Kabul. This is, you know, kind of a CIA central here and it just, everybody looks the same. They're going to, I look, I still mow my lawn. You know, I do my own yard work nothing special. My kids make fun of me all the time. You know, I do a lot of stuff in the media when I do stuff in the media, my kids call me up and say, Dad, you talk too fast or you look funnier. Your eyebrows move too much. And so I, I, have, a, I have a huge dose of humility. So It's not just my there. kids. No, Thank God. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah. My, my son my son does not care when I'm on TV. No, he literally my, does not pay yeah. attention. <laughs> I, I am not cool. So, yeah, the only time he thinks I'm cool is when someone else says I'm cool and he goes, oh, yeah, maybe she is. Oh, yeah, she's all right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. There you go. <laughs> um, uh, my, my kids like when I bring home. I, I brought home to our house. You know, Navy SEALs and Delta Force operators and Arab princes. Um, you know, we had we I've had the most eclectic group come. So that's when they like it. They meet other people, not not me. I'm just dad. But OK, so so Havana syndrome. So, this, you know, this is something that's harder for me to talk about because, uh, you know, this is what led to the end of my career. Yeah. And, you know, I, I retired when I was 50 in, in July of 2019. But I was the equivalent of a four star general. I was rising up very senior in our operations directorate. I had, you know, at least, you know, 12 to 15 more years left in the tank. But on, in, on, in December of 2017, I made a really ill-fated trip to Moscow. 
you know, at the time I was the deputy operations chief for what we call Europe and Eurasia. So responsible for operations everywhere from, you know, uh, Ireland uh, all the way to the farthest time zone of Russia. And as I said before, primarily devoted to countering Russian influence, mm. Russian activities on the European continent and working with our liaison partners as well. People always like, we're spying in Europe. Well, I said, no. I was in charge of operations in Europe, but most of this was designed to, to assist our European partners in countering Russia. And so I, I made a trip to, to Moscow for a very simple reason, as I was a career counterterrorism center officer, career Middle East officer. And just for kind of credibility's sake, I was put in this job. I said, I have to go visit the embassy there. There was a, an ambassador there, John Huntsman, who was a very kind of senior statesman in the U.S. government. had been governors of Utah. He was the ambassador in Beijing. Mm. And now he's ambassador in Moscow. So I wanted to talk to him. Again, I, I wanted to get a feel. We call it area familiarization. So I was going to spend 10 days in both Moscow and St. Petersburg, visit the embassy, visit the consulate. But early on in the trip, I woke up at a start in the middle of the night, and I had just waves of nausea and vertigo. The room is absolutely spinning. I'd, I'd, I had a splitting migraine, and I had tinnitus ringing in my ears. Something was happening to me, and it was terrifying. And again, as I, as I noted before, I'd, I'd been in you know conflict zones for years and years. I'd been subject to getting you know, shot at numerous times, certainly put my life at risk, but this was a terrifying moment. Something was was absolutely happening to me, uh, and that really started a, a journey, which you know, I, where eventually I had to retire. But by the time I, you know, I came back to the states, I lost my long distance vision. I had cognitive issues. I couldn't drive. Uh, I, I, I had splitting headaches at, a, at a, a significant level where I couldn't concentrate. Even to this day, this is years later. I, I've had a headache every day for four plus years, mm. and so something really awful happened to me. And and in my view, and and, and the, the you know the view of my doctors. It was absolutely consistent to what happened to U.S. diplomats in Havana, Cuba in 2016, the year prior, in which 25 U.S. diplomats and intelligence officers from the U.S. government facility there were really subject to something similar, which caused really debilitating and sometimes career ending injuries. And so, you know, this started this kind of this this really kind of awful period of my life. I've gotten much better now. I finally, the, you know, the, what, the reason why I'm talking about it now is. I, I had to retire in July of 2019, but I was still begging the agency for health care. This is a real leadership fail on the, on the previous agency leadership's part. This has kind of turned into a, a, an issue where I'm an advocate for health care yes. um, for, for the victims. It's certainly something that I didn't expect I would be. You know, I, I, I look at this and what's happened and I compare it to things such as Agent Orange in Vietnam yep. or the issue of burn, pit, burn pits in Afghanistan and Iraq. Or perhaps you know the health effects of some of the, the first responders uh, at, at Ground Zero, and so so th these are medical mysteries that after a while certainly have been solved. But the bottom line is that the, the the U.S. government has an obligation to take care of its people, and so I'm you know I think that that one of the things that I really pushed for for a long time, and that has now come more to fruition, is is if someone is is you know is sick, get them health care. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know who's doing this and what they're doing, we can find out later on. But for a long time, people were really ignored. And that, that can be damaging physically, could certainly be damaging in terms of mental health as well. Yeah, because I know they're talking about something similar in terms of the burn pits over in Afghanistan and places like that, exactly. where a lot yeah. of the people on the ground are getting severely ill from like burning these oh, toxic fires. But getting back onto Havana syndrome and the symptoms, it must have been kind of a, a release when a US Intel panel of experts said it was likely caused by directed energy. Well, it was. So, I mean, you know, there are a couple of things things in this kind of whole saga and journey that have, I think, really broken this thing open. And, and first and foremost is when Bill Burns, the new CIA director, you know, came into uh, uh, his position, you know, he expressed kind of the notion that A, that he believed us, and B, and more importantly, frankly, is that he, he pushed for health care for anyone who is claiming to be injured. And that's really important. 
you know, and, and so so that was kind of the the first step. And then, you know, the, the second is is you, there's a panel of experts that was put together by the director of national intelligence, led by a very esteemed doctor, Dr. David Roman from Stanford, and they did assess that there was a this is a likely that likely cause of this was a directed energy attack. They're looking at the results. They're looking at the symptoms we have. They're looking at medical records, and it's consistent with what directed energy would do to the brain. Now, does that mean that there's you know there's there's reported one thousand attacks? Does that mean all 1,000 had this? Absolutely not. And I think that the more likely is that there are, you know, there's a much smaller number of that. But the, the individuals that I know who have been, you know, really severely injured and who have the medical documentation to, to, to back that up, I think that, you know, when, when you have a panel of experts coming out and saying, A, they believe us, and two, this is the likely cause, I think that, you know, that, that is really significant. And I'll say one last thing is that when I was treated at Walter Reed's National Military Medical Center, and when are the neurologists there, some of the top neurologists in the world, diagnosed me with a mild traumatic brain injury, I had tears in my eyes because finally a doctor was saying, yes, something happened to you, and that was really important. And do you think this was a directed attack? Do you think this was something that was I intentionally do. caused? Because, you know, you, you had yours in Moscow, and then the originating people had that in Cuba. So where is the I, – I just want to know where the connection is there. Well, to me, the connection is, so first of all, the, the Russia had every reason to kind of torpedo U.S.-Cuban relations, which were exploding. Okay, at the time. okay. So, yep. so to me, that, that makes a lot of sense. But, but and, and, and look, I, you know, I, I, have, I certainly am not in the government anymore. I'm not, I don't have, I'm not privy to the results of any investigation. But the, the officers that I know that have been affected by this had, had one commonality and one commonality only. That was they were, they were, uh, they were working to get Russian target. Right. And so just, you know, just now the U.S. government says that, you know, in, in all the cases that are reported, there is no kind of set pattern on that. But I just know the people that that I'm aware of in my kind of, you know, network who are who are outstanding officers still are, but who are really severely injured. They all had that common feature. And so that combined with a kind of historic Russian effort on these issues. Uh, on directed energy programs. That's my that's my thesis. I could be proven wrong. Yeah, it could be someone else. But but you know, so when people ask me, I said this is what I think. Well, Russia has a record of playing with microwaves, particularly in attacks on embassies, particularly using it as a an infiltration device, either activating bugs or there was a a theory that I remember when I was working in the organization that you could basically throw a microwave through a building and the modulation of the wave from people speaking could be read at the other end, but with right. a more directed weapon. And that, it, there is evidence, there's historical evidence that they have been playing with, around with directed Absolutely. microwaves. Yep. But also there was a, a Professor James Lynn in the United States who was also looking at it, basically tried an experiment on himself. And on himself? He, he did it on himself, yes. <clears throat> yeah, this is back about decades ago. He just went, I wonder what would happen and kept hitting himself with low energy pulses. And by the sounds of it, what he was doing, the effects were very reminiscent of what happened to you, the sound of clicking, the disorientation, all that sort of thing. So it sounds, personally, I think it's quite plausible, but the problem being how to combat something like this. Right, exactly. And so, uh, you know, I think the, the, the absence of evidence does not mean that it has not occurred. I mean, mm. I think that's something that that, you know, and, and I think the intelligence community, you know, so, so here's where we are now in the investigation. And, you know, look, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a bit of a difficult spot now because, you know, despite the fact that I really do believe in the mission of the CIA and, and, I, and I thought we did a lot of good in my career, I think on this issue they've, they've performed quite poorly. And, and so, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not necessarily welcomed in the halls of Langley all the time. I still go there. I will see the director every once in a while. But I have a, a strained relationship because I don't think they are investigating this properly. And, you know, again, the absence of evidence doesn't mean 
that this has not occurred. And so, you know, it took us 10 years to find Osama bin Laden. Yeah. I mean, literally, and he was sitting outside at the west point of Pakistan, uh, of Pakistan you know, basically an earshot of the, the Pakistani military training academy. So, uh, you know, so I, I think that, you know, as we've had this investigation ongoing for, for just a small amount of time, we have to we have to keep going. But here's the, you know, here's what it comes down to all the time. I was, you know, I was a, a highly functioning kind of blunt instrument or maybe precise instrument of the U.S. government at the time when, uh, you know, I was affected by this. Something terrible happened to me in Moscow. And so, you know, and so I, I it, this can't be psychogenic. I'm not making it up. You know, uh, you know it's, it's, there's nothing pre-existing in my background. And that's very similar to a lot of my other colleagues who were really highly functioning intelligence operators, you know, who, who had the most advanced surveillance detection training, who had, who had, you know, been in the toughest spots. And all of a sudden something happened in an event where they felt a blast wave, a noise, yeah, uh, you know, something really significant. You know, how, how that's something that's in our heads or, or we're making it up or, you know, we're a bunch of UFO chasers. I mean, that to me is almost insulting. And so that's what I kind of come back to. Do I know, you know, have we caught the Russians with the device outside our hotel room? No, we have not. And we have to be very clear on that. I think there's a lot of circumstantial evidence mm. that has been collected in terms of Russian complicity. But the investigation has to still still continue. If someone comes to me one day and says, you know, it was, you know, you were poisoned or it was the Chinese or the Iranians, I would say thank you for finally finding out what it was. But something happened. Yeah, I think it's what's so interesting to me about this is a the lack of concern, because for me, I would think that, you know, if this is something that is going on, what's to stop, you know, a bigger attack from happening? Well, and so here's, you know, a big concern certainly kind of raised or was raised last last year when during the visit of the vice president, uh, Kamala Harris, to Vietnam, Mm. a, a member of the U.S. Embassy in Hanoi was affected by this and affected quite seriously. And so I think that kind of, you know, gave everyone some pause because, you know, it's not only someone serving in a diplomatic post overseas. But it's also, you know, uh, on the margins of a, of a VIP trip. Yeah. So I would imagine imagine that, you know, protective details of our VIPs, whether it's the Secret Service or diplomatic security or others are, are concerned about this. But at the same time, and, you know, now, and this is, this is my theory, I think there's also been an effort to downplay this pretty significantly by the U.S. government because they don't want to have any kind of panic. Look, they have to get officers to deploy. Yeah. You know, the, the, the U.S. State Department, the CIA is a forward-facing organization. You know, we don't ever withdraw from a country. We're always out in the field somewhere. And if there's a notion that people are unsafe, I think that's going to hurt people's desire to serve. And so so in my sense, I think the agency at this point is downplaying this um, for, for those reasons. But again, uh, you know, I worry about the safety of our personnel in the future. And, and, I'll, and I'll say one last piece. And again, I'm not I have no access to the current investigation, but it seems to me we haven't heard much of attacks overseas since February 24th. What is February 24th? It's the day Russia invaded Ukraine. Oh, yeah, good point. That's very interesting. So, with something like this, I mean, it was the way that you ended your career with the CIA. I mean, that's got to be tough, right? You've spent twenty six years kind of building this incredible career with with the organization, and to go out with on something like this that that would have been tough on you mentally. Well, so there's there's two parts of it. One is it's a silent wound. Yeah, you know, if you can you can see the background uh, as I'm filming this. If you see that there's a there's a painting. That I made at Walter Reed. It's in art therapy. Do you see in the background? It's a it's a black canvas. Yep. There's kind yeah. of a red splotch on it. So you know we always nicknamed that the the, the the there's a whole bunch of us who are being treated there for the same issue. But we nicknamed that the gunshot, and that's the notion that we wish we had been shot. Yep. I wish I had a tangible injury that would not be 
questioned by anyone. I wish there was a gunshot wound. Yeah. Because first of all, you know how to fix it, and then you and, and people understood it happened. And so the, there's a mental health side of this kind of you know with this this kind of mysterious ailment or injury. But but the other part is is as follows, and you know there's a pact you make with an organization like the CIA, and that I will you know I, I promise to you know lawfully under the, the U.S. Constitution, but carry out some pretty unique activities. You know I'll just say that over my 26 career in some pretty dark places around the world. But in return, I always had the notion that the the agency would have my back if I ever got jammed up, if I ever needed healthcare. And in this case, they didn't. And there's a moral injury on that too. And and look, I've I've had a lot of you know uh, uh, you know I've met with a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists. There's been some serious mental health challenges I've had because it's an organization that I gave everything to, and at the time of need, they abandoned me. Now, now things are better now, and I did get health care. And the best care I got was from a Marine Corps chaplain called Chappie. This is a grizzled old Marine, and he you know he said he, he said you know Mark, I, I I kind of equate your relationship with the CIA that you had a divorce. But, but, you know, you know, perhaps, you know, there's going to be some, not reconciliation, but you'll, you'll kind of come to a place where, you know, maybe you can talk to each other. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of, the, but at the same time, it's an organization I deeply believe in. I think it's indispensable for national security. I've given a lot of interviews like this. I gave one to CNN one time and the CNN journalist, the, the correspondent, at the end of it, she had tears in her eyes and she said, how do you still like that place? But the answer is because I, I do believe in their mission. I just think that they, in this case, they didn't take care of its people. And, and that's something that has to be rectified. And I'm sure that that's something that will eventually get rectified the more that they investigate and find out and work out that, you know, this is something that they need to take care of. When- and I would just say, I mean, in that whole idea, I remember after leaving ASIO, I had a lot of people say, you must have really hated the place. No, I don't. I still bear it no ill will or animosity because- I believe in the mission, as you say. I mean, yeah. as but for you at the moment, it's that awkward Thanksgiving dinner where you don't really know what to say for the first ten minutes, and then you ease into the conversation. I suppose it's that awkward family I'm, I'm, gathering. I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the building at the end of the week. You know, there's an award ceremony I'm going to for a colleague. Mm-hmm. I've been invited back. It's it's a little awkward. It's strange sometimes, but you know, it just is where it is. You know, this this is just the the one thing about our organization and. And it's something that has to be fixed. But I think it's not uncommon in many elements of U.S. government. Somehow it feels like that when you, you know, people who depart, even after a long career, they do so sometimes with a bitter taste in their mouth. And that's not that's not good for, for a variety of reasons. But I, I've heard that from people who've left the military, who've left this, you know, the Department of State. Mm. You know, you, sh- you should really leave these organizations uh, or hope to leave them in a, a you know, with a, with a much more kind of positive feeling. But you know, that's that's something that perhaps someone could work on with, you know, better alumni relations or something. But yeah, it's going to be it's it's always interesting going back, but it'll be OK. Everyone will put on a brave face. So where are you at now in your journey, like health wise and also, you know, what what you're doing now? Like, where is that journey sure. leading you? So I wrote a book on leadership. It's called Clarity and Crisis Leadership Lessons from the CIA. It, it talks about kind of leading in times of, you know, when you have a, a lack of situational awareness, when there's ambiguity, it's how you know, why someone would raise their hand and say, send me, well, how you're comfortable in those really difficult situations. That's what I got good at, at the end of my career. So I go around and I talk to, you know, the private sector, you know, whether it's, you know, Google or Facebook or other companies like that. Uh, I do a lot of work with sports teams and I do a lot of work with law enforcement because ultimately it's, it's how to lead in these crisis situations. So I enjoy that space. The other thing I do, again, I write a weekly column on intelligence uh, for the Washington Examiner and I am a contributor for MSNBC. So I'm on TV all the time. You know, probably several, probably several times a week, commenting in the in the U.S. media on you know national security and particularly on intelligence. So you know that's the space that I found myself in. 
and then, you know, I, I think that there's, you know, there's, there's some more projects I have in me. I think I want to write another book. I think I want, I want what the, the book I want to write is not on Havana syndrome per se, but it's how to deal with chronic pain. I still have a headache right now. I'm yeah. much better, but it's, but it's how to deal with, you know, how to deal in your life with chronic pain. Thank God. I don't have, uh, you know, I have a, probably a mildly obsessive personality. Everyone in our business does, but you know, it's somehow, somehow I didn't get addicted to, to opioids, which could have really, I could have gone down that path or, and, or, you know, or, and, and certainly there was a time where I, where I probably consumed too much alcohol to dull the pain, but I've kind of conquered that now. And so it's the idea of, but the idea of how to live with chronic pain, I think is, would be a good lesson for others because that's such a, such a problem in our society now. So I have some projects kind of ahead of me and, uh, and, you know, my son's playing, you know, baseball in college. And so I get to kind of travel around and see him play. And, um, but, but the, the headaches are still there with me. And, you know, you know, for example, I'm, I'm still worried of taking a trip, you know, outside of the United States, just because a 10 hour, you know, plane ride. Yeah. I think with the pressure might not be a great idea. So I'm, I'm still getting, I'm still getting treatment. So hopefully things get better. Yeah, it's kind of similar to um, what a lot of people are talking about with Lyme disease, you know. Exactly. And like there there are even these weird links, people linking it to a, a coronavirus, a novel coronavirus as well. Yeah. So um, there's some interesting stuff coming out about Lyme disease and whether that was, you know, intentional and, uh, you know, some really fascinating stuff. And like in the beginning, people didn't believe that they had this sickness and now yeah. they're saying, yep, it's it actually does exist. So I well, imagine- Let me tell you, so on that note, it's really important. My wife had Lyme disease and she really suffered from it and was was you know, for about six months was, was really almost incapacitated. This was years ago, but she beat it and she beat it with a lot of kind of new age medicines and some alternative therapies. She's been a tremendous inspiration to me because it was very similar going to doctors and saying, you don't have this, uh, yeah. but then finding the right set of doctors who actually say, no, actually you do. And here's how you're going to beat this. And so she's been a tremendous source of strength and inspiration because there are some similarities there. Yeah, that's crazy. I've, there's a gentleman who recently wrote a book on it. He was a, a journalist and he said he had to go and seek every single person. He's tried everything and finally it's starting to abate. But he had to like, you know, he had to do some pretty weird stuff. Electromagnetic yep. therapy, all of that kind of stuff. Sure. But, you know, look, I'm conscious of time and you've just been an excellent guest. I just Fantastic. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. But I guess I just want to get your take briefly on Ukraine and Russia. Where do you think – I know sure. we, we tapped on this briefly in when we spoke to you last ep, but where do you think it's going to end? Because I know basically David reckons the Chinese are going – like if, if Putin is out, because eventually I believe Putin's generals are going to have to take him out because something's going to have to be done. And and David believes that China will want to step in there. I what, think they've got a little bit of uh, control. Uh, what, well, let's have a bit of fun. What, what do you think is going to, the end game here, and how is it going to end? Well, first and foremost, I'm going to uh, you know I'm going to give you the kind of the age old response from an intelligence officer, and that de- it's it's it depends. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. That's the that's the that's the cop out. But you know, here's where I see this now. So first and foremost, you know, Vladimir Putin made a massive miscalculation. Yep. Uh, you know, it's clear. And, you know, one of the most inspiring things I've seen in my entire life is the is kind of the, the fighting spirit and the will of the Ukrainian people. As I like to say to Michelle, whenever we talk about the Ukraine is never cross a comedian because they're, they're president's a comedian. <laughs> That's right. you got to have balls. You gotta, to be a comedian, you got to have balls. And that guy's got cojones the size of but the he's Ukraine. He's a comedian who is turned into Winston Churchill. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, pretty extraordinary. And so, so, you know, where we are now is that Ukraine is winning. Now they're doing so because certainly because of, you know, the incredible spirit and the fight 
of the Ukrainian people, coupled with, you know, the assistance from the West. And I think the Biden administration has been fantastic in leading the way. And the more advanced weapon systems that get there, the better. You throw that into a corrupt Russian military and intelligence service, and Vladimir Putin is losing and is going to lose. Yeah. The Russian military is broken. And so, you know, one of the things that I talk about, and again, I, you know, I, I go back to my street case officer time, so we can sit here and and, and do all the armchair quarterbacking and, and talk about all big picture about we should pressure Zelensky to to sue for peace and, and let the Russians have a little bit of territory. I don't think so at all. And, and let me tell you why, because if I'm not retired right now, I'm in Ukraine and I'm, and I'm, I'm with my Ukrainian brothers and sisters and their intelligence and special operations forces. And the only thing I'm doing every day is figuring out how to kill as many Russians as possible. That's yeah. it. Body bags is our metric. And the nerve I would have if I'd say, hey, by the way, you're doing so well, we don't want to humiliate Putin. So we're going to ask you to stop now. Never mind that, that the Russians have raped, murdered, killed your entire family, villages, people you know. Never mind the war, the war crimes. Never mind that the territory that Russia holds is yours. It's Ukrainian territory. Mm. We're going to ask you to stand down now. That to me is total bullshit, frankly. And that's what you hear coming a lot out of you know some think tanks and some academics and some policymakers. I think we have room to keep going. I think Putin's nuclear rhetoric is just a bluff. The intelligence community, the U.S. intelligence, Western intelligence is going to be laser focused on kind of the Russian tactical nuclear inventory, which air, sea, land based systems. We see no movement in them. And so I think there's a lot of space to really kind of, you know, keep the Ukrainian boot on Russia's neck. And, you know, look, it, this goes down to, you know, maybe my old kind of schoolyard roots. But, you know, if you got a bully down, so a bully who's been hurting you for a long time. But if you punch him in the face, you got him down, you keep going. Yeah. Keep driving. And so. I think eventually there's only one person who can end this war, and that's Putin, and that's when he's going to ultimately withdraw. One of the things that I think is has been extraordinary is, is this mobilization of 300,000, which I don't think is actually accurate. I think it's much more. The popular discontent in Russia is is rising at a staggering level, and body bags haven't even come home yet. And you're going to send poorly equipped, poorly trained conscripts or whoever they've drafted, and I think it's more than 300,000, and they're going to get killed very quickly. Yeah, and and I think the, the the popular sentiment in Russia is is going to turn very quickly against this war. So I think we keep going. You know, I know the West can't get wobbly. The Biden administration certainly is not. And at the end of the day, this also matters. I think you know China's watching. You know, obviously the whole issue with China and Taiwan, and so so you know there's there's kind of even even bigger strategic aspects to this. But I you know I would I would advocate. I was on TV this morning kind of howling about this, you know, don't fall for, for Putin's, you know, the rhetoric, you know, call his bluff, keep going. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. When we started this podcast two years ago, it kind of started out as just a, a little bit of David talking about his time in ASIO and us joking about it. Sleeping but- with the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> that was such a, like, and look, yeah. she was really nice. It was a big mistake. I didn't even know. <laughs> well, she counts it as a mistake. Yeah. We know that for a fact. But um, we, you know, in the, two, in the two years we've been doing this, the shape of the world and the global security and what has happened and COVID and everything else, it's changed the landscape has changed dramatically in two years. We like every week we have something to talk yeah. about, something new, whether okay. it's cyber terrorism, whether it's Ukraine, where, you know, it's just in China and Taiwan. There's so much going on at the moment. I just feel like there's this frenetic global energy and I'm wondering if it's ever going to dissipate. That's right. And, and, you know, we haven't even talked about Iran and what's I happening know. with the, the women's movement and in Iran is- now, which is extraordinary. Yeah, and that's yeah. something I really do want to talk about as well. Uh, Mark, thank you yes. so much. Sure. We, you have been exceptional to talk to, and I, I just I could spend another two hours. Favorite guest ever. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Matt Bevan, and for- all right, there you go. Thank you so much, Mark. 
And good luck with your journey moving forward with the headaches Thank and you. Nirvana syndrome and all of that. And I hope you get respite and I hope everything good comes your way with that because I just feel like that is something I I know that anyone who has gone through a silent illness, it would just be really devastating and hard. And remember, if you make it down under, yeah. I've got a cricket match you've got to go and see. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. Appreciate Cheers. it. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Lovely you. to meet you. Bye. Bye. Okay, so what have we learnt today? With Mark, we learnt so much. We've don't learnt, travel. Don't, uh, yeah. <laughs> don't travel to, to Moscow. Microwaves, not yeah, so good. Stay away from them. Do not be a member of the CIA anywhere overseas at the moment. No, it's, it's really tough. But apparently, Ukraine, sorting it all out. Well, we're on it. Mark and I, we've got to come in. Well, I'm so glad we have him on. And I'm just, I don't know what it is we're going to talk about next step. Oh, I'll think of something. Okay.